I'm fallible. I make mistakes too. Matt, the first step to recovery is acceptance. I am not prepared to accept. (laughs) But Bill is. He recognizes he's a human. Also an idiot. (laughs) It's the Bill Simmons Podcast Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Matt. Matt, happy 50th birthday to the podfather, Bill Simmons. It's the greatest day of our podcasting lives. We made it. Here's to to 50 more, Senior Simmons. (laughs) Otherwise, we'd be out of a job that pays us almost zero dollars. But more than zero. It's a (laughs) non-zero number. (laughs) Yes. But statistically speaking, it's close enough to zero that it doesn't matter. I don't think we're going to fly a spaceship into the sun as a result (laughs) of this type of math there. We'll also point out on this, the 50th birthday edition of the Bill Simmons Podcast podcast, we are joined by our founder from Ramping with Dave Productions. Dave. Good afternoon. I, I'm going to mm. do better, America. Happy birthday, Bill. We look forward to you doing better. There were three podcasts last week. The first one with Bill, Joe House, as a special guest on Guest Alliance uh, with Cousin Sal. The second one with your favorite person and favorite guest, or second favorite person and second favorite guest after Bill's old dad, Malcolm Gladwell. Wait till we get there. Uh, and then the third one was with Mallory and House and Beto O'Rourke. I don't know why. It's the Bill Simmons Podcast Podcast, Matt. Here we go. The first podcast of the week with uh, special guest House, as well as with Cousin Sal on Guessing the Lines, one hour, 43 minutes, and 16 seconds. When we do the Sal podcast, when, when Sal's on the podcast, I, I don't know if it's because he controls more of the narrative and talks more. There is less idiocy from Bill. I feel like I have less stuff in these podcasts than I do in other podcasts. Pearl Jam, two minutes and 12 seconds in. But before that, two minutes and six seconds, Bill gives us the time, but not the time zone. And Matt, for the first time in recorded history, he's actually in the Eastern time zone. Maybe it's that he assumes when he's at Eastern time that everyone just understands. Don't assume that we understand (laughs) anything. At 14 minutes and eight seconds, I think he means seconds tick off. Two seconds tip off. Unless the seconds are at the start of a basketball game or another jump ball. Just as a recap, once again, at 26 minutes and 30 seconds, Bill unable to defend his four fantasy quarterbacks. Uh, Sal gives him an appropriate amount of shit. I love the fact that he is defending this. And then later on, as we will point out in this podcast, defends it by saying he was able to trade away one of his quarterbacks for another player. But he also had to throw in a not quarterback (laughs) to get the deal done. (laughs) Which is like essentially makes it worthless. It's a net loss to have four quarterbacks, even for trade purposes. Yeah, it only worked in a season where I think like eight backup quarterbacks started last week due to injury and stuff like that. Also at 27.30, Bill says that a team is 4-0 after their first four, which is of course (laughs) obvious. Bill then says he is an idiot. He is. We agree, Bill. Good self-reflection on your 50th birthday. Well, it was actually several days before his 50th. Well, it's close, Chris. (laughs) As we said (laughs) earlier, the Bill Simmons podcast podcast not as concerned with accuracy as with making the point we want to make. <laughs> yes. 29 minutes and 24 seconds. Bill's trying to figure out who will represent the AFC in the NFL playoffs and points out that one of the divisions will have to have two, except he fails to point out what division and says this. Maybe two out of the AFC? Two out of the AFC is four less than the total amount of AFC playoff teams. At 34 minutes and 36 seconds, Bill says the big TV, of course, he's on the East Coast. He's not in the Simmons Man Cave that has four NFL TVs. Uh, He says that he's watching on the big TV succession. 
and watching Eagles-Falcons Sunday Night Football on his iPad. We watched Succession and put Falcons-Eagles on my iPad. This is the sports guy. Yeah. It is much easier to time shift the viewing of Succession, yes. which you could watch an hour or so after the game is done and no no harm, well, no foul. Also, also he knows he's going to have this podcast. It's like you got to watch the football games. 39 minutes and 6 seconds. Bill has some harsh words for his compadre, House. I fucking fed you all day that you won that. <laughs> yeah, you did. And you did. gave you drinks. <laughs> and I want to parlay. I smelled your farts. Bill actually is secretly, though perhaps not so secretly, he's a generous guy. Not when it comes to fart smelling. <laughs> he, he refuses to smell many farts, <laughs> but some farts acceptable, especially if they're his buddy House's farts. At 39 minutes That's and That's how I feel about Dave. <laughs> you will smell a certain but limited number of Dave's farts? Yes. Matt, you're full of shit. My farts don't smell. 39 minutes and 28 seconds. Bill is talking about betting on Marcus Mariota, and his voice cracks twice. Nothing's better than having money against Mariota. I can't necessarily be the person who leads the charge against voice cracking, but I will say he's getting paid real money. 41 minutes and 7 seconds. The swallow. Lamar Jackson. Lamar mm-hmm. Jackson. At 43 minutes and 20 seconds, Bill admits... He doesn't know who this new wide receiver was. We didn't know who Robinson was. I feel like I watch football every week. Which makes sense because he's not paying attention to football. He's paying attention to a swear word written premium cable soap opera. At 46 minutes and 16 seconds, Bill wants you to know he is not a concept thief. I wanted to steal this point for myself because I was really jealous of it, but I'm not going to do that because I don't operate that way. Matt, are you aware of any evidence that perhaps Bill does Steal concepts from individuals? I am. The hot take, what do they call it? The hot take podcast? Hottest, the hottest take. take podcast is a ripoff. Granted, that is not a particularly original concept, but there is a uh, podcast associated with a radio station in Philadelphia that does that exact concept. The person who runs that podcast in Philadelphia associates with and is affiliated with people who now work at The Ringer, including John Gonzalez. Bill, Matt's content name and names. Thief. And as a result of The Ringer doing this, including former Philadelphia radio station guy John Gonzalez, now, yes. who now works for The Ringer, the Philadelphia radio station. Spike Eskin has said, no more Ringer employees on his podcast. We don't do things like that here at the Bill Simmons Podcast. Now, you podcast. can steal our content and we will still welcome you please, if you are famous enough. Please, just use it. Please. <laughs> At 49 minutes and 43 seconds, this swallow. Because it's not like the Texans are have generations of fans that will travel for this game. You may recall this quote from the beginning of the Bill Simmons podcast podcast. I'm fallible. I make mistakes too. The point Bill is making about his fallibility has to do with the fact that he is not certain where the NFL games are actually being played. And Sal points out, this is common. Once a week, at least, Simmons thinks one team is home and they're away and the other team is on. Like, <laughs> here sorry, we go. We hit it. We did like four or five what games. What the F is oh. going on here? Uh, we'll leave this because <laughs> I want, I want people to know. No, leave, leave this. He wants people to know that he's fallible. I have news for you, Bill. We know. People look at me. They're like, <laughs> that guy never makes a mistake. <laughs> we would not have uh, a product if you were infallible. We also do not look at you as if you don't make mistakes. In fact, we look at you and look forward to your next mistake. At 106.21, Matt, one of my favorite parts of the first podcast of the week, House is talking about Cliff Kingsbury and accidentally, in a slip of the tongue, calls him what sounds a lot like the C word. (laughs) During confirmation of what it sounded like he said, he repeatedly says the actual C word into a recording mic. I'm not going to call Kingsbury a Kingsbury the This is bleeped out. Guys, we'll be up till three in the morning bleeping stuff. Which is bizarre because the Bill Simmons podcast has no problem allowing f*** and shit, but the C word is a bridge too far. We think bleeps are hilarious. Yes, they are. And if we said the word we would edit it out. 
Back in the day, I wasn't allowed to buy any albums or CDs or tapes that had an explicit content warning on it. I had to resort to the clean version, and I always hated the albums that just either blanked out the bad words or beeped out the bad words. It's much more creative to actually go through each song and reverse the curse words so you hear ish and uff, that kind of thing. So that's my suggestion. Well, he's the man in charge, Matt. I don't know that we have any choice but to attempt to do that, and then if we run out of time, disregard. There is no chance we're doing that. (laughs) At 138.30, he says that he's given so much to his kids, and I'm sure he has. That's the way parenting works. And they've given him almost nothing, and it really sounds like he is keeping track of what his children, in particular his young 14-year-old daughter, has given him in terms of physical property. Well, it's a short list, Chris. Well, yeah. (laughs) but and, And then he lists it. And then he says... Uh, The problem is she's now, after one month of dating a guy, coming up with this whole thing, and he is clearly, though funnily so, jealous of this boyfriend. You can do the whole daddy's little girl, all that stuff, but as soon as they meet a guy, you're just dumped. I was, like, uncomfortable. I mean, I I assume at some point both of us will have to deal with the specter of teenage daughters and their boyfriends, but... Man, I hope I react to it like a adult. I assume that Bill's uh, rationale goes something like this. I let my kids do whatever the fuck they want. I give them $40 for coffee. I let them order burritos online. I buy them folding toy knives and BB guns. Letting them see the most horrendous, uh, violent movies that exist. But in return, you better get him a good gift for his birthday and Father's Day. At 142.26, during the applause section for Vox Engineer Jeff, Bill's voice cracks two more times. And thanks to Jeff the Engineer. Round of applause Round for of Jeff. Round of applause. Wow. We'll be right back after this. <laughs> Matt, we use Anchor.fm for the Bill Simmons Podcast Podcast. Anchor.fm allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And it's free. Anchor will not only let you record and edit, you can also distribute your podcast to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more through Anchor. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, which is handy for the Bill Simmons Podcast podcast. Anchor.fm has everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On the second pot of the week, it's the Malcolm Gladwell pot. Matt, you and I have very different opinions of Gladwell. I like him for the most part, whereas you... He's a contrarian. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the diplomatic (laughs) response. This pod was 1 hour, 41 minutes, and 11 seconds. Pearl Jam at 2 minutes and 14 seconds. At 2.45, Bill, in a wounded-sounding response to Gladwell pointing out that many people probably don't know that he used to be a writer, (laughs) compares himself to Andrew Luck and then describes himself thusly. I'm wasted talent. They think you're just just a waste talking head. At 4.02, he talks about not wanting to get into the morass of Gladwell's book. I don't want to go into the the morass of the book. More ass? It turns out this is actually mildly insulting because it suggests (laughs) that the book has, according to Merriam-Webster, a situation that traps, confuses, or impedes or an overwhelming or confusing mass or mixture. (laughs) The funny thing is, I think Bill is actually trying to be nice. Like, I think the point he's saying is like, I don't want to get too deep into your book because then people won't buy your book. And I want people to buy it. Let me assure you, Chris, that no idea Malcolm Gladwell has ever had in his life (laughs) is dense or more than two inches uh, below the surface. Matt, an expert on things that are two inches deep. (laughs) At 542, Bill continues to use the wrong word. Dave, what do you think about this? So I was of the vestige. I think he means vintage. That's right. Vestige is actually 
the smallest quantity or trace. The other Merriam-Webster definition, a trace mark or visible sign. So he was not of the trace mark or sign. At 8.36, Bill, in the most Donald Trump-like explanation for why he's good about psychology, points out that it is because he is ignorant of psychology. <laughs> I feel like I'm pretty good at, sci- at sci- just like understanding the whole things, and maybe it's because I don't read books about it. No, no, no. I'm not going to go to that guy with a fancy degree. I want that guy that earned his psychology education from the School of Hard Knocks. <laughs> right on, Chris. At 23.46, Matt, do you think this is Gladwell getting in? On the Brady is losing his hair? Make his hair grow. It definitely was. Okay. Uh, And I assume that this is now a thing that like, uh, I mean, Gladwell seems like he listens to Bill's podcast. I mean, ostensibly he says that and this would be evidence that he's actually listened to it. But yeah, I think he was poking fun at him. Would you fight him? Yeah, I would fight him. He says he he weighs 125 pounds on the uh, Wilmore podcast. He must be really small. Like he must be like 5'4 or something like that. Because if you're like 5'8 and weigh 125 pounds, you're like, there's nothing there. I wouldn't know, man. I haven't weighed that since like sixth grade. Based off my height, Chris, and my weight. Five foot eight. Right. About 100. 200 and. No. Oh, that's <laughs> makes me angry. Like, I feel like if I lost 40 pounds, I'd be skinny. Yeah, like, almost would be to the. Scary. Yeah, it would be uncomfortable. Me losing 40 pounds would still be significantly more than 125 pounds. <laughs> At 32.25, here's an ad read for Square that Bill botches. Or whatever it is you need to do to grow your business, I'll do that too. Then he goes on to say that he's been using Square for years, except the way he's been using Square for years, Matt, is by swiping his card (laughs) when his hairdresser shows up at his house. I've been using it for years every time I get a haircut. Yes. (laughs) I don't think he is what Square would consider a Square consumer. He's more like a customer (laughs) of the Square consumer. My favorite part is when he reads this ad and he says, he talks about the hairdresser who, who comes to his house, cuts his hair, and then he does the Square thing. And then he always says, and it does this, which I can tell you from personal experience. It's like, because you did it one time? Like, come on, man. At 3420. All of us have watched so many TVs and movies. How many TVs was he watching? At 47 minutes and 47 seconds, I have a pop quiz for you, Matt. Who is Bill Simmons talking about in this quote? Well, what about the part when he's a big grunt but a sore loser and all this stuff? We don't, So we don't get to criticize him for this anymore? So who's the big grump and the sore loser, Matt? Belichick sounds like a good option, but I know Bill wasn't talking about him. No, crazily enough, the person he considers the greatest coach of all time who was a notorious grump <laughs> and sore loser and who gave a huge stink eye to that lady reporter after yep. the Patriots game who had the nerve to ask him about a player who was just cut from his team, that's not the topic of conversation. In fact... It's Greg Popovich, who Bill considers to be the grump and sore loser. In yeah, this Bill has really soured on Popovich the last year. You know why, of course, Matt. I think this is something that you hit me to. The reason is oh. because Popovich is considered, in theory, uh, a pretender to the Belichick throne he's, of He's Belichick coach. competition. Yep. Yeah. Same way he hates Saban. Yep. That's a bunch of initial. At 49.06, this is the repeated and automatic reflexive response Bill has to whenever people criticize Belichick for being a jerk and uh, being too terse in press conferences. Belichick will have these press conferences where somebody will ask him a really interesting football question and he'll answer it for like three minutes. It's fucking awesome. The problem with that is if you are an asshole, you can choose to be nice. If you're a nice person, you don't ever choose to be an asshole because you're a nice person. So the fact that there is a brief window of time when he is interested in his fellow human enough Mm -hmm. to not be an asshole doesn't mean he's cool. It means that he is more of an asshole because apparently he can turn it on and off. Yep. At 50 minutes and 8 seconds, Bill defends the people who are shaming U.S. basketball 
for coming in seventh place. Don't seventh place shame us. I, I don't know what this point is or this high ground he's taken out, but have we seen the transition from Bill Simmons on the cutting edge of the conceptualization of sports coverage, and suddenly he has become a 50-year-old version of Rick Riley? Yes, that's exactly what's going on. It's a shame because you still see vestiges of the real Bill Simmons, the authentic Bill Simmons. At 50 minutes and 39 seconds, the Penn State leadership was outrageously attacked over uh, Jerry Sandusky, notorious child raper. I feel like the leadership of Penn State was totally outrageously attacked over this. I think they're blameless. The first note I wrote uh, at the beginning of this podcast was, does Malcolm Gladwell think that Jerry Sandusky is innocent? By the time I got to the end, I almost preferred that he did think that. Because here's what Malcolm Gladwell actually thinks. Malcolm Gladwell's position is basically that because of this pop psychology theory that he read somewhere and now has made the subject of this book, that people as a whole, in order for society to properly function, will always default that the truth is being told to them. Now, I'm not really sure why the fuck applies to Joe Paterno, because Joe Paterno was told about a sexual assault. So if he defaulted that the truth was being told to him, he would think, Someone saw Jerry Sandusky sexually assault somebody and then would probably be like, you know, it's weird that I told the people upstairs and then nothing else has ever happened. Yeah. And I'll just continue to employ him for years and also give him access to children. The problem with Malcolm Gladwell's theory is that it takes some parts of these Penn State truthers ideas, which are Sandusky didn't do it. Therefore, Paterno et al. didn't do anything wrong. Everybody, this is a big Wait, giant do people conspiracy. people believe this? Oh, yeah. This is a big, giant conspiracy. But Gladwell doesn't even have the balls to take that all the way. What he's saying is, I think Sandusky probably did it, or at least I think there's a chance he did it, right? Because he has to say that, right? Whether he believes it or not, he would not be received well if he said, I think Sandusky is innocent. So he has to come out and say he did it. But then he goes from there and makes this ridiculous statement that Joe Paterno basically, well, he's an old man. He's an old man, and therefore, well, I, what do we expect of him? This is the problem I have. This with, is nickel nonsense. This He's is a, the, the logical com, uh, approach he takes, which is that Paterno was told that Sandusky is a sodomite, or Sandusky sodomized someone. Yes. In theory, he probably was told Sandusky sodomized a boy or yeah. a child. But because Paterno is, A, out of touch and old, and B, so football-focused that he doesn't know what sodomy means, and then does not follow up on what it means, even though he reported it, and potentially was told that Sandusky is a pedophile and reports him but doesn't know what that means and doesn't follow up on what it means and figures, even though I've reported this guy, and even though he's been uh, described as both a sodomite and a pedophile— And I don't know what those mean. I'm not going to look them up, and I'm still going to let them coach my defense, which is so up and absurd that the fact that he even mounts this defense really does make me lose respect for him. I would not let a guy coach my linebackers. It's so infuriating that there is a part of me that is like, Buff Bill for not pushing back on this. If you've ever actually read the grand jury transcript and the testimony that Joe Paterno gave in this case, it is obvious as that Joe Paterno knew that the accusation was Jerry Sandusky sexually assaulted a kid. It's clear. He says that's what he was told. And he's basically like, I did what I was supposed to do. And then continued to employ him. Yes. The the common refrain from Penn State people is Joe Paterno did not break the law. He did what he was supposed to do. That is a technically true statement. We should not absolve Joe Paternal for his moral failure because he technically followed the law. It's not like Gladwell was like, you know what? I think that they're misunderstood. He said they are blameless. Joe Paterno essentially did nothing wrong. You, Malcolm Gladwell. I mean, seriously, fuck this guy. And this is 
a prime example of a contrarian head being contrarian for the sake of being contrarian. At 52.12, Bill says they have her dead to right. They have her dead to right at one point. He Good. needs dead to rights. At 54.36, this is what Glidewell says about spies. Well, why don't you shut down all of the espionage operations? Because you're no further ahead. Here's the problem I have with that, Matt. If the point is their spies know everything that our government is doing and our spies know everything that their government is mm-hmm. doing, and the solution is to save all that spy money by not employing spies, doesn't that mean that we won't know anything about them, but they'll still know everything about us, putting us at a significant strategic disadvantage? I don't understand how these two things are supposed to work. Yes. That's like saying their race car is as fast as ours, our race car is as fast as theirs, let's save money on gas. It's like instead of tying, we would just like to lose. Right. <laughs> Sorry, Malcolm. I do like him, though. I think he's nope. interesting. Nope. No reason to like him. At 56.33. The only Reddit page I go to. Yeah. And this is the God's honest truth, other than I have Celtics, Patriots, Red Sox, Reddit pages, mm-hmm. and conspiracy. Bill lies and said he only goes to several <laughs> Reddit pages. When we know, he definitely has checked out the dope knife guy memes <laughs> on Bill Simmons. No question. Right, Matt? Dope as hell. At 107.33, you want to know how long podcasts have been around and lucrative? Since before Serial, says rich guy Bill Simmons. Narrative podcast took off with Serial, but podcasts had been around yeah. for a while yeah. and doing really well. Trust me. At 109.20, Bill says uh, he has a lot of book ideas. He has so many, he's worried they just kind of float away. I, also, th- I, I think about the books, the book ideas I have in my head that just sail away. I just watch them go. He's not thinking of book <laughs> ideas. He's thinking of boats. <laughs> he has so many boats. At 119.44, you ever wonder what it sounded like when Bill didn't get his way as a child? Listen to his reaction when Gladwell suggests that Michael Jordan was not the greatest basketball player of all time. Interesting chat. No! At 129.17, Bill says this, apparently without any sense of self-awareness. You're talking about a group of rich guys that are always convinced they're smarter than everybody else. <laughs> Matt, does that sound familiar? Any rich guy who was convinced he is smarter than everyone else? Uh, I can't think of any. It'll come to me in a minute. We'll be back after this. Voting isn't just going to the polls on election day anymore. Options like early voting, mail-in voting, and ballot drop boxes are available to more voters and are growing in popularity. How to Vote, a tool created by Democracy Works, breaks down the options your state offers for casting a ballot, empowering you to decide when and where to vote. Decide when and where you'll vote this year at howto.vote. Chris, the third part of the week is everything I hate about Bill. I will let, Chris, you get to your uh, individual uh, complaints. I'm going to start with this one, though. We have talked about Bill's position on Mike Trout and MVP before. It is insane. History will judge it poorly. That's, that's what I have to say about it. Bill's position is Mike Trout should not win MVP because the Angels stink. The statistics clearly show that Mike Trout is the best player in baseball. So let's say Mike Trout has a war of 10. That means that, that theoretically— That sound you heard is the baseball <laughs> vocabulary going over Chris's head. But go All ahead, right. war man. Let's put it this way. If Mike Trout is worth 10 wins to the Angels and, <sighs> and somebody else is worth 9 wins— objectively, Mike Trout is more valuable to his team. Does he have the highest war? Yes. In the whole league? It's not even close. It's never close with Mike Trout. It's just such a stupid... I mean, this is... You were just talking about him becoming... It's like you're catching Trout fever. Yes. Ha-ha! It's like you uh, and your Rick Riley... 
comparison. That's yes. what this is. He's just being an old man yelling at the cloud. Which is weird because he has always been on the forefront of supporting analytics. Yeah, I just don't understand. Mike Trout is awesome, and he is super valuable to his team because his team would be way worse without him. Now, his team also stinks terribly otherwise and isn't going to make the playoffs, but that doesn't make him any less valuable. Well, here's the contention that I take with his argument. It seems to be focused on the word valuable. And he seems to think that a person does not have as much value if that person plays for a team that does not do as well as another team. The problem is he is basing his definition of valuable on the word value, which is not how it's being applied in most valuable player. Right. Miriam Webster, our old friends, <laughs> have this to say about valuable, having monetary value. That's not clearly what we're talking about. Worth a good price. We're not talking about the most worth a good price player in the league. <laughs> Having desirable or esteemed characteristics or qualities. Yes. Yes, that's of the one. great use or service. Yes. So the player that has the most desirable or esteemed characteristics in the league or the player that has the greatest use of service in the league, that's what this award is for. So when he takes the position that because the word value is the root of the word valuable, that that means that this is not about the best player, he's mistaken. He has taken his semantic approach and his semantic regard for the name of the award so far to the extreme that he has changed the definition of what the award is. By Bill's uh, rationale, a guy like, say, Cody Bellinger, who is probably the going to win NL MVP and is the best player in the National League and is on a team that's going to win over 100 games, the Dodgers... He is not the most valuable player by Bill's rationale because his team would probably still win 100 games without him or at least maybe two or three wins less, something like that. By Bill's rationale, the most valuable player is really the person on the wild card team who team just squeaks in because if that guy hadn't been on the team, they wouldn't have made the playoffs. It's just a really stupid position, and he has staked it and is unwilling to give it up. I thought Mallory actually did a good job of pushing back. I did too. And the fact that he goes on to belittle her. I hate being told how I should feel about an award, which you and your little math people. I'm a big math person. The fact that he talks about your little math people, isn't he the guy that goes to the Sloan conference yes. with Daryl Morey yep. that's all about the uh, uh, analytical revolution? Yes. What the f- the difference between those people and these little math people he's yes. talking about? At 1701, Bill Swallows. In the NBA too. I think they should have playoffs MVP. That he says, whole. <laughs> but you could talk me into a whole. At 3801, how many L's in the word comparing? I'm comparing the situations. Right. You- I found that pronunciation to be complarious. <laughs> I like it. At 4147, Bill just decides to check out whether or not Kyle's awake. I just wanted to make sure he was awake. He seemed like he was zoning up. At 4442, how much pounding can you take, and what is the result if you take some? You can just take some pounding, lose your confidence, and then that's it. At forty-five, forty-two, Bill botches an ad for his sponsor, FanDuel. For FanDuel's World Fantasy Championship Football Championship. At forty-six, twenty-six, during what I think is a discussion of Marlon Mack with Kyle, although it's hard to tell because Kyle is not very well mic'd. That, of course, is Kyle's fault. Kyle is surprised to learn that Marlon Mack is injured. And then reasons that perhaps that's the reason Kyle did not get any fantasy points from him. <laughs> Marlon's hurt. That's why I'll I didn't get any out. points from him. Um, could be. Could I love be. it. I feel like my opinion of Kyle is starting to be <laughs> less denigrating and more lovable buffoon. Yes. <laughs> At 47.14, Bill says this. People like getting it in the uh, mornings. At 48.51, to give Bill credit, I did legitimately laugh out loud 
when Bill was talking about Tony Kornheiser's sort of semi-Irish exit from dinner. I have to go. My leg hurts. Hugged us and left. It was one of the all-time old guy moves I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) At 58-19, I don't think Patrick Mahomes sucked their will out. He beat the hell out of them. He sucked their will out. (laughs) I'm not sure what he did, honestly. (laughs) Let me try it again. It was like when you get bit by a snake and they have to get the venom out of you. Which is actually dangerous because that can poison your mouth. Yeah, that's what they do to the will. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to die, Kimasabi. At 101-14, Bill says this. We're going to see at least one of those road teams win, win on the road. He is accurate. If one of the teams wins and it's a road team, that win would occur on the road. <laughs> At 101.49, I think he's trying to say worst. Beat the two New York teams that we all agree are two of the f- first four teams in football. He stumbles and stutters and then just gives up. Now, Matt, shortly thereafter, at around 110 or so, there's a long conversation about betting. I don't know that much about betting. But I can tell you that my understanding is that if you are betting 300000 Yeah, this is what I want to talk about. And you're going to lose three thirty, you're actually betting three thirty. In the hopes of gaining 300. Yes. So I believe now that Bill does not actually bet on football. I think he just tells Sal what to do and then Sal or, – or they collaborate and then Sal's the one who makes that, the actual bets because Bill does not understand how the VIG works. It, this became very clear to me when he explained this. And what he says, the way this starts is he said some people emailed him and were complaining or saying like this is wrong. And then he tried to say, no, this isn't wrong. No, Bill, you are wrong. You are incorrect about how this works. So what Bill says is that if I bet 300000 that if I lose, I actually lose 330000 No, that's not how it works because that would be like, here, Bookie, I've given you 300000 Oh, I lost. Bookie comes back and collects 30000 It doesn't make any sense. What you do is you bet three thirty to win three hundred. Right. Or – you could bet 300, but if you only bet 300, you're only pocketing whatever, 275 or something. or something like that. Right. Really, what he has done is he has bet 990. Uh, he has bet 330 three times over those three bets. Anytime you bet, the odds are generally, except sometimes in parlays, the odds are generally minus 110, which means you always have to bet 110 to win 100. So when Bill is making these bets and he's saying, I'm betting 300 on this, I'm betting 300 on that, and I'm betting 300 on this, on that. He's either actually betting 990 to win 900,000 or he's betting 900 to win 810. But I don't think that's the way he did it because if he made minus 110 bets at 330 apiece, he only had 10,000 left to bet on the Emmys or whatever that last bet was. But he actually bet 100,000 to bet on the Emmys. If Bill were betting real money, he would have cuffed something up here. Either he wouldn't be winning as much money as he said or he would be risking, uh, more. risking more than he says he's actually risking, which is why I believe that Bill isn't actually doing any betting because if he was using real money, it was, he would understand, oh, I can't bet that much. He would know for sure what, right. he's, what he's losing. I think what he's doing is he has a general concept of how this works. He understands there's a VIG, but Sal is the one who places the bets for them. At one nineteen sixteen, Bill comes back to fantasy football when he says that his great quarterback stockpile strategy – has resulted in him trading away Crowder and a quarterback to get Keenan Allen in return. If I traded him to uh, with Jameson Crowder for Keenan Allen. As we said at the beginning, this strategy stinks. Yes. Finally, Beto O'Rourke. And I hope I'm saying his name right because Bill makes a point of asking Mr. O'Rourke how to say his name. Yeah. It's Beto. Mr. O'Rourke then tells him how to say it. 
Bill says he's got it. Or I've got it now because you introduced me yourself. And I was like, all right, I've really got to remember. I'm like the mispronunciation king. But he introduced him using this pronunciation. Beto O'Rourke is going to come on. Bill, you didn't get it. And all you had to do was listen to the question you asked him or play it back and listen to it. And you would know how to say it. And I think I got it pretty close. So this is part three of the Bill is an idiot examples from this week. (laughs) Here's what I think about this podcast. He clearly doesn't want this to be about politics. He says, I thought it would be interesting to see what it's like to run for president. There is very little talk from Beto O'Rourke about what it's like to run for president. And he does do a lot of politicking. He talks about things he would do. He talks about disagreements he has with the current uh, Orange administration. uh, And he, you know, that sort of thing. Here's the other thing I don't understand about this is more of a complaint about Beto himself. How transparent is it that Beto O'Rourke, who is an Irish Catholic white guy, has taken upon himself the nickname Beto, which by all accounts, based off the way he pronounces it, is a uh, Hispanic nickname. You can't mean that Robert Francis O'Rourke, born to Pat Francis (laughs) and Melissa Martha, nay Williams O'Rourke, is not a Hispanic descent. I'm shocked. (laughs) There's one point Bill wants you to walk away with. He is rich. (laughs) I'm like, you realize I pay for everything, right? Matt, would that I could pay for anything. This has been the Bill Simmons Podcast Podcast. My name is Chris. And I'm Matt. Happy birthday, you old bastard. (laughs)